0: Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then, let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. This Urban Farm podcast is brought to you by the 2018 Food Revolution Summit. I say food choices are our most important factor to staying healthy, the Food Revolution Summit helps us in this discovery process. It's free, online, and features 24 top food and health experts teaching us how to reduce the risk of the most notable diseases of our time. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to sign up for this life-changing event. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is bringing awareness of the beauty of nature to her part of the world. We're talking with Mary Reynolds about care of the earth, food, and nature. Mary grew up on a small mixed farm in Wexford in the south of Ireland and eventually set up her own company designing gardens in Dublin. A few years later, and having lost her will to live from constantly designing modern gardens, she realized that she could no longer continue shaping the land in the same way and thus reimagined her work to become nature rather than human-centered. She brought her new still relatively uninformed ideas to be showcased in the Chelsea Flower Show in London, where she achieved a gold medal, unusual at the time for a first-time effort. Since that time, Mary has built up quite a cult following in the world of garden design and is considered unique in her field. She eventually decided it was time to rethink the whole relationship she had with the land and re-examine what it truly means to design in harmony with nature. This led her to her beautiful book, The Garden Awakening, designs to nurture our land and ourselves. Welcome to the show today, Mary. Are you ready to rock our perception of gardens?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Greg.
0: You bet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to where you're at today?
1: Sure. So when I moved back to the countryside from the city of Dublin a long time ago now, I knew that something was wrong with the way I was working with land, but I didn't know how to, you know, put it into words or shapes or concepts yet. But one night I had a very particular dream, which was very simple, really. I was a crow in the dream. And when I was Acting as a crow in the dream, I was flying across these ancient landscapes in Ireland and I heard my name being called out below and I flew down towards the source of my name and I found myself a blue skinned version of who I am now, Mm -hmm. sitting on a log in an ancient woodland, staring up into the sky waiting for my crow self to emerge down through the trees. And when I saw myself, I kind of froze in midair and I, the blue me grinned up at the crow me. And even though it doesn't make any sense, it was almost like a key turned in my head. And I woke up and realized that everything I was doing was wrong. Maybe this would have been obvious you know, to most people, but for me, it was I suddenly realized gardens were all controlled versions of what I call the real deal, which is nature herself and what she wants to become. And so I tried to convince people to let me design gardens in that way. And because I'm not a very bullish designer, if that's the right way to put it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to convince people because they didn't understand why I would want to put a bunch of weeds in the garden, you know? Uh-huh. So eventually, I realised I'd have to do something kind of drastic. So I'd heard about this Chelsea Flower Show in London. I'd visited it briefly. I really was very, very naive. I hadn't really done any traveling or anything like that. But I thought, well, if I showcase this at a flower show on an international stage, then perhaps I could change the fashion. And I instantly had stepped into a role looking back, which was one of protection of nature as opposed to being a garden designer. I had a different modus operandi at that point. Uh And so I realized that changing the fashion, which seemed to be what I was striving against the whole time in garden design, if I went somewhere where fashion's Got changed, like the Chelsea Flower Show, Mm -hmm. and I made it fashionable to to create very, very natural native landscapes, then perhaps I could have an effect. And that was my first concept of trying to change things. Anyway, that went down quite well.
0: Yeah, you won a gold medal.
1: That was a great adventure. And they made that film out of it, which I know you've talked to Vivian about that and Dare to Be Wild. And that was fun. And then since then, I ended up as a single mum with two small children. Living in the most remote peninsula in Ireland, and the edge of West Kerry, past Dingle, out as far as you can get, the next stop is America, and uh, uh. it was quite an isolated place to live. I decided that I knew this film was coming out, so I decided to write the real story of the movie as such, you know? Yeah, But I realized I was bored doing that after about 20 minutes because I had talked to Vivian about it so much that I really didn't want to to write about it anymore. So I started writing about my work and very, very quickly I wrote myself out of a job because I realized that even though all all my gardens were, you know, very beautiful and they were designed in harmony with the shapes and patterns of nature and they were made without chemicals and using native plants, They didn't want to stay as I had designed them. The land itself had other intentions of its own. Oh, yes. I had to work out what those intentions were because otherwise I was not working in harmony with nature. I was still working against her. So I wrote myself out of a job and for a number of years I spent writing when the kids were asleep at night. I was mostly awake while they were asleep. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to reimagine what was wrong with the way we were working with land and I realized I could actually get people to change to make a huge difference through the little patches of land that they might be lucky enough to call their own which is their gardens
0: Mm -hmm. that's where I went with it so after my interview with Vivian, I was so inspired, I actually went out and rented on iTunes the Dare to be Wild movie, and I was totally moved by how you worked this thing out. Can you tell us a little bit about the movie and how it came to be?
1: Sure. When I was younger, before I got squished by life, I hope you understand what I mean by oh, that yeah. before. so. I used to be able to make whatever I wanted happen. Now, I'm finding it is coming back, you know, my ability to create the world around me. But when I was young, I used to just imagine things. They would almost instantly come into being. Mm -hmm. They weren't always well-intentioned things. I'm very careful these days about my thoughts and where I put energy. But back then... I had done the Chelsea Flower show. I had started working with the BBC. I had all the things I imagined I wanted. But looking back, I mean, what I was chasing was not always a positive thing, do you know? Right, and it was notoriety, and it was youthfulness that didn't allow me to understand that none of that was of use or of benefit. But one of the things I realised was I wanted my story to be made into a film. I thought that was a good idea, so I put my energy into thinking about that. And mm-hmm. once it was thought, I set it to one side and waited for it to happen. You know, so quite a few people had approached me, in fact, to make a film out of my story. Wow. Before Vivian. But Vivian was the one person I liked. I liked her intentions. I mean, she came along quite late in the process when I'd already been squished by life. Mm-hmm. And I had learned a lot at that point. So what I learned was that Vivian had good intentions. And she was incredibly inspirational person. She was a lawyer in America. Mm-hmm. Later in her life, she decided to give it all up and become a film screenwriter and director. Now, she had not done anything before Dare to be Wild. I know it was a risk to take to give her my story, but somebody has to take risks on people, and people had taken risks on me, and Mm -hmm. and I liked her. We had good crack together. Her intention was to showcase nature in a very positive light and to push the ecological side of the film. Once I knew she was there with that, I I was happy to go along with it, you know.
0: Wow, it was an extraordinary movie. In one of the scenes early on in the movie, you write a note for yourself and put it on the wall. It says, thank you for my gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show. Tell me about that, because that was really you calling the win into reality.
1: Yeah. Like I was saying earlier, I often, I knew how to make things happen Uh in my life. Now, the reason I knew was, you know when you read something and it resonates as the truth? Uh That's when you can make something happen. Sure. Earlier in my life, I had read a book by somebody I'm sure you've heard of called Deepak Chopra. Oh, yes called the seven spiritual laws of success and one of the things in it resonated with me which was that you say thank you for something and it'll already come into existence whereas Mm. if you wish for it or pray for it you're holding it in the future the thing i did not understand back then was that you always have to add if it's meant for me or if it's for my higher good or whatever version of that you want to add because you can attract things into your life that are not meant for you Uh and they can throw you off your path for many years but back then I decided that you know there was no way I was going to raise court for a quarter million according to everybody I knew mm-hmm. but I knew that if I wrote this note on my fridge and said, thank you for my full sponsorship and gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show, if I said it often enough and believed it, then I knew it would happen. So I just wrote it on my fridge and said it every morning. And then I busied myself with falling in love with a very handsome man, ran away to Ethiopia chasing him and just waited for the money to arrive in the door, which it did.
0: Which it did. I love that.
1: But it was very interesting. What isn't in the film was that I had lied through my teeth to get into the Chelsea Flower Show in the first place.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Being very Irish, it doesn't occur to us that rules are really real, you know? Yeah. We kind of work around them. And when I had rung the Royal Horticultural Society in London, asking them for an application form for the garden, this very posh English man answered the phone, very kind man. And I said, look, will you send me out an application form for the Chelsea Flower Show? And he said, look, love... You sound very, very young and very naive. And he said, there's no point in sending out to an application form because (laughs) there isn't a hope of us letting you in, you know. So there's no point wasting your time. And back then, it was very difficult to get into the Chelsea Flower Show. It was really for people who were already really established. Uh And also, I can completely understand why they wouldn't want somebody unknown entering because you could let them down and it could be a total mess and it makes sense, you know. Now they're very much more open. I think we opened up the gates a lot for people. So instead, I kept ringing back because I was very persistent. And he kept lying, basically, I think, looking back, Uh saying that he was going to send it out to me. I convinced him to send it to me for the crack as a student, just to pretend I was doing it as a project. And eventually I got a hold of a secretary who said that... Those forms had been sent out eight weeks previously and they were due back in the following Monday. This was a Thursday afternoon and I was going to have to have full sponsorship in place as well as a full set of design drawings and she was kind enough to let me courier all that over to her on the Monday and she slipped it into the judging file so I forged the sponsorship documents from an obscure company in Beirut that I figured they couldn't track down right and slipped everything over by courier and yeah the rest is history (laughs) but that's the way things work sometimes right
0: yeah nice wow well congratulations the movie is Dare to be Wild It is going to be out on Netflix, I believe, is it not? Yeah. Plus, it's on iTunes and Amazon, I believe, as well. Yeah. So let's talk about your book, The Garden Awakening. This is an absolutely stunning hardcover book on how to design from nature. Tell me about this.
1: Yeah. So the book, it's like a book about philosophy and stories from Mm -hmm. my life where I have actually learned how to really work in harmony with nature I mean I'm still learning I think everyone is and I mean I've learned a lot even since writing the book but like I said I was writing about the movie I got bored with that started writing about my work got bored with that and this is the result of four years of trying to figure out what I was doing wrong and it's basically a book about three things it's about how to work with magic in terms of what we call magic in our Ireland, which is this type of magic you'd find in biodynamic agriculture as yep. well and it's how to work with that type of magic and also how to listen to what the land itself wants to become and how to create spaces which turn your garden into like a universal post box real strong connection mm. and what happens in this way with working with land is that you gradually gradually heal the piece of land you're working with and in a direct reflection of that you heal yourself You bring yourself back to the truth of who you really are. Hmm. It's not anything new. It's not in any way a self-help book. It's not in any way supposed to be a book about healing. It just happens to be. It's all old knowledge. It's the way we used to work with land and we've forgotten.
0: Yeah, I can see that. So in reading your book, I'm noticing that there's a lot of Irish or Gaelic wisdom in it. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I don't claim to be wise, but I do think people used to be wise. And I had to research for the book and I researched with older people. I look back into all the old mythologies about Mm -hmm. how we worked with land and also just older people who still remember how we used to work with land. And I kind of based it on my own culture, but I found as I researched that these are things that were carried out all over the world. They were common ways of working in in every culture in, in the world. So I based my work on very, very simple practices and understanding one very important thing, which is that we... As humans have no place in this whole ecosystem, this whole circle of life, we don't have a place there. Our only role in this whole circle of life is to be caretaker of the planet, to be caretaker of every single creature that lives here, to Mm -hmm. look after everything else that is alive. That is our job. And because we've forgotten who we are, we have lost ourselves. We've become lost. We have really lost our way. And when we stopped working with the land, instead of looking at it as something to be cared for, we began to look at it in terms of ownership. Yeah. And the earth is like a really big heart. And at that point, when we broke it up into all these little parts that we might call our gardens, our countries, our borders, or wherever you want to go with it, the earth shattered into millions of tiny pieces. And I think we have an opportunity now at the last hour to take each one of those individual shattered pieces and heal them, bring them back to full health, allow them to become sanctuaries for all the creatures that we are surrounded by and live with.
2: Mm.
1: And those pieces can meld together and we can heal this heart before it's too late. So I still think there is hope. We are running out of time.
0: Yeah, because the planet cannot manage the amount of pollution that we've thrown at it. Really, that's the bottom line.
1: Yeah, everything that we do to the Earth, we're doing to ourselves. Yeah. So all the poisons we're putting on the Earth, we are putting straight into our bodies with the food that we're eating and the water that we're drinking. Mm -hmm. We cannot look at moving to a space station as a solution. Right. You know, it would be an awful pity if we didn't make this work.
0: Yeah. My friend, Brad Lancaster, he's a water harvesting guru down in Tucson, Arizona. He says, throwing things away simply is giving them to our children to deal with.
1: Yeah. Exactly. but If they're lucky enough to be around to deal with it, that's the thing.
0: So your book, The Garden Awakening, Designs to Nurture Our Land and Ourselves, is a beautiful book. I highly suggest that you get a copy of it and read it. As I said, I am well on my way to getting into it and learning. I'm a lifelong learner. It sounds like you are too, Mary. Totally. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it
1: i failed loads. I mean, that's totally normal. Let's see. What would be the most interesting failure, I guess, would be, for some reason, my children keep coming into my head. Uh-huh. I guess learning to be a good mother was my biggest success, I think. Not that I necessarily have solved that particular conundrum, but I guess when they were small, I failed very badly at managing to be a good parent, only that I had no idea how to do it. Right. Sorry, this is probably not a very interesting version, actually. I learned from that. I learned from my children how to care for myself and how Mm -hmm. to care for the Earth. Yeah. They taught me how to step back into the role I spoke about, about being a caretaker of the Mm -hmm. planet as well as them and as well as myself. Yeah.
0: You know what? I have something that is similar, not equal in any mean, but we just recently got a puppy here at the Urban Farm. And, you know, it's parenting of sorts, you know, definitely not like parenting children children cuz i can you know i can put the puppy in a crate and walk away <laughs> it's bumping me up against some emotions some feelings that i have about how to raise this puppy and so i completely get it i'm finding that with our puppy she's making me a better person by the way i'm interacting with her yeah when i do something that it's like oh damn, I shouldn't have done that. It gives me an opportunity to reflect back on me and see what I will do differently next time.
2: Yeah. And do it
0: better. Yeah. So I can completely get that.
1: Yeah. That's great.
0: So what do you consider your biggest success?
1: I don't really see my work as successful. I guess my book for me would be my biggest success because it resonates as the truth for me. Mm hmm. My understanding of how the food that we eat and the food that we grow is vital for our journey and restoring the health to this planet and to ourselves and to everybody else that lives with us. Mm-hmm. I guess my book for me is my biggest success for sure. like I suppose I can't really quantify any of my jobs, any of the work I've ever done, because most of the work I have ever done is pre the book. Oh, right. I wanted everybody to create their own gardens because I can't do it for them. I cannot form a relationship with your land for you
2: right
1: the whole point of the book is to learn how to form a relationship with your land and introduce it into your family the same way as any child it's about raising land basically a cleared piece of land is like a child and a mature independent being is where you want it to be and we have to guide it to become a mature independent living ecosystem which does not need you but i don't want people to let their land go wild on its own Right. Number one, too many things can go wrong, and we haven't time for that. It's a fast track to get the land back to a strongest, most diverse ecosystem that we can in the quickest possible way. At the same time, growing food in that system. So it's really about raising land. And it sounds like a strange thing to say. You could raise a child by throwing it out into the garden and say, "Raise yourself," you know. Uh huh. You know, what it, it might survive. It probably will survive in some form. It might not be healthy. It might go wrong. You know, so many things can go. Wrong. But if you do have a relationship with that child and you raise it to be strong and mature dependent, then you've got real magic. And that's the magic that we're missing. We're missing that relationship with our land. The land is a living, sentient being Mm -hmm. who is willing and open to have a relationship with us in the same way that any child or animal would. I'm reminding people that those relationships exist, that we have forgotten them, that we've pushed them away into fairy story land. It's not fairy tales. It's real. I've seen the energy and I've felt and heard and spoken to all the creatures in the land And it's not that I'm any different to anybody else. Mm -hmm. This is something that we've forgotten that we can do. And it's a gentle way to live, but it's pure magic. And living in pure magic is where I want to be. And it restores that hole in your heart that has Mm -hmm. been ripped ever since we stopped having that relationship with the land. This book reminds you very simply how to restore it. And it takes a while. Same as any relationship. It can't be done overnight.
0: You kind of answered one of my ongoing conundrums for the past five or 10 years in my life. And that's that people, given my visibility here in the desert Southwest in Phoenix, Arizona, people call on me to come and tell them what to do with their property. Yeah. I used to do that. I used to go out and, you know, I'd charge four or 500 bucks and come out and I'd visit with somebody and we'd talk about what them for them to do and, you know, so on and so on. And what I was noticing was that nothing was happening Yeah, because I was telling them. And so about four or five years ago, I stopped doing that. And that is the answer to that conundrum for me. And that's that I can't tell them what to do. They have to figure it out themselves.
1: You can guide them. Yes. You can't do it for them. Right. And people don't understand that. If you personify it and explain, it's like handing you a child and saying, please form a relationship between me and my child. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You can be a midwife, but you can't become the parent for them. You know, took me a while to figure that one out too, you (laughs) know, yourself.
0: Well, thank you for that. That answered that question for me. And it really feeds who I am, because what I do now is I just share with people what I do here by doing tours, and I teach. Yeah, perfect. With the intent of them becoming aware and understanding how to do this for themselves.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well done.
0: Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> and it sounds to me like this is what you're instructing people through this book on how to do.
1: Exactly. I'm currently trying to raise funding for my own land in Ireland, where mm-hmm. I have basically what has become like a prayer. The whole garden is a prayer. Uh to balance the feminine and masculine energies in the world and create a school where people can come and learn. Because even with the book, which I can't understand, they still want me to talk to them and help them. I think I've written the book in such simple language that they should be able to manage it. But I can understand it. people want more than a book sometimes. Yeah. So hopefully someday in the next couple of years, you'll be able to come and hang out sometime, Greg.
0: (laughs) I'll take it. That would be nice. So what drives you?
1: My absolute love of the earth and nature my absolute horror of the pain of all the creatures of the earth when i step outside i feel it mm. i try very hard to manage it because i have to embrace it and work with it and i haven't found it to get any easier over the years but i i Cannot bear this pain that I hear and feel every day from industrial farming, from the cruel practices we inflict on all our animals and creatures and the habitats that we destroy without a thought. When I was young, I formed relationships in nature when I didn't form them with people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: They are the relationships which sustain me. And I feel extremely protective and extremely connected to all the other creatures that live with us so you know I'm no different to anyone else I don't profess in any way to be any way special I think I was lucky in many ways in that I had those relationships because I didn't have other ones so much so that's what drives me is I may not be able to change the world but I know I can get people to change their own little patches of land and if enough of us do that I'm absolutely convinced that the hundred monkey syndrome will kick in Mm-hmm. And if enough of us changes this, then the whole consciousness is going to shift. Yeah, That's my plan.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So, and you know, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that the listening, and, and I'm paraphrasing here because I can't remember exactly what you said, but your listening of what the universe was saying got squashed. Yeah. And now you're being able to hear that again. I've, I've been able to experience that in my life as well. It's when we stop and take a deep breath and pay attention that messages come to us. Yeah. And so it sounds to me like you've reintegrated that into your life.
1: I'm starting to. I wouldn't say I have, totally. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has to have their heart broken. I think everybody has to have all their hope squashed out of them in order to see whether they really are willing to fight for life. And so that's what I mean. I went through 10 years of darkness Mm -hmm. and at the end of it, instead of it completely squishing me, there was enough light left for me to grow up from it, you know? yeah and it's like everybody has that choice you can either become bitter and angry or you can like any seed you can put your roots down into the shit and get strong from it and grow up towards the light and I was very lucky in that I had a lot of help to grow in the right direction yeah I'm still at it like obviously and always will be
0: I think as long as we're breathing we're still learning exactly or we can still learn let me put it that way I hope so. Yeah.
1: I have a terrible cold, so I know I probably sound like I'm completely bunged up.
0: You sound great. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: My favorite book in the whole world is called The Global Forest by Diana Bursford croger She's one of my great heroes in life. A woman from West Cork in Ireland who is an incredibly brilliant scientist. She moved to Vancouver in the States. Uh-huh. She invented blood plasma. She gave it all up after being headhunted by all the multinationals, as you can imagine. And now she lives in Vancouver writing these beautiful books about nature. And this one book called The Global Forest is the most succinct, beautiful, small book about how everything is connected in nature in the most simple, practical way. Mm. And it's a series of short essays which will just blow your mind. And you can pick it up and read one essay before you go to sleep. It's just Her love and understanding of nature is second to none. She's amazing.
0: Nice. The Global Forest, 40 Ways Trees Can Save Us. Yeah. (laughs) Nice.
1: Yeah, she's lovely.
0: Cool. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Well... If you're lucky enough to have some land, the most important thing you can do is allow that land to become what it wants to become. And most land wants to become a multi-tiered woodland. So plant trees, native trees everywhere. Grow your own food as much as you can because industrial farming is killing our planet. The more of us that can step out of that system, the more of us can affect change by forcing them to change. Mm -hmm. So trees and food, you can't go wrong with that.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Mary.
1: Welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you, Greg.
0: So how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: I guess through my website, which is www.marymary.ie. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? Uh So that's my website. They can get to me there. My manager, Claire, is a really amazing lady who manages all that stuff. So Perfect. That's the way to go.
0: Perfect. And then Dare to be Wild will be out on Netflix here in the next few weeks. And if you want to watch it right away, it's available on iTunes.
1: And it's a really beautiful, uplifting film. I don't know about you, but I just can't bear all the dark films everywhere at the moment. But this one is so lovely and uplifting. It's good for your heart.
0: Good for your soul. Absolutely. I was inspired by watching you and watching the movie. Right. So you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Mary Reynolds. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org org to find articles podcasts, webinars courses and more well that's it for today thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast claiming your inner urban farmer is easy grow food share it and name your farm then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast pick up your urban farmer bling hats and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com my intent with the urban farm podcast is to educate and inform So when I find a particularly good opportunity, I want to share it with everyone. The 2018 Food Revolution Summit is one of them. As you listen, you will be informed, inspired, and motivated to improve your health. You'll get cutting edge insights and information from 24 of the top food and health experts in the world hosted by my friend Ocean Robbins, with interviews conducted by best-selling author John Robbins. This annual, week-long online event is free to attend. You will learn from experts you can trust about how to improve your health and reduce your risk of chronic disease. Sign up at urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to join the revolution.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast.